I called the study Don't Look Back. Um, and I called it that because um, th- there's a whole church community that is receiving this letter in the ancient world. Uh, and we're going to learn that they, they are uh, Jewish people or, or Hebrews um, who've become Christians. Um, and their instinct uh, when, they fr- when they face persecution uh, when the Roman authorities come after them and say uh, and, and make them suffer for being Christians, is to say, "Gosh, it seemed like it was a whole lot better being a Jew. It seemed like it was a whole lot like we, we need to turn. We need to return uh, to what we knew before, uh, because if we weren't being persecuted then." Um, and Paul's continual, or not? It's not Paul. Um, the author's continual message is, "Don't look back. Jesus is better." Right, that's, that's the second half of that is uh, it doesn't matter what you had under the law. It doesn't matter what you had under the old covenant. It doesn't matter uh, who taught you before or what you heard before from, from uh, your faith. In each and every case, Jesus is better. Don't look back. Uh, and so that's going to be our theme as we go through this. We're going to look for the ways in which the author uh, really emphasizes that, that point, that what they have uh, in Christ is the fulfillment uh, and the completion uh, of everything uh, that is contained in the Old Testament. Uh, it's a profound message for these Christians especially, but also for us. Um, I think, um, you know, Chris was just talking about the, the fact that this is a new year. Uh, I think a lot of people look forward in the new year. Um, a lot of people look back, right? Think of all the reflections and uh, you, you watch... TV and read the internet, a top 10 list, you know, things that happened last year, top 10 books, top 10 movies, whatever. Um, we have a, a tendency at this time of the year to want to reflect on the past and, and look at the future as well. Um, and uh, I think also as a, as a, a Christ-believing community, uh, oftentimes when things become hard, one of our instincts is to say, gosh, what, my life was better before. Like, why, why can't I return to that? Um, and to, to that, the author of Hebrews says, don't look back. Jesus is better than whatever you had before. So I want to start off in a weird place, um, as usual. Um, I don't... Do you have my outline, Richard, by any chance? Ah. So I, I want to talk first about what the gospel is and what it is not. Um, and I, I, it was... Uh, kind of funny to me that Chris came up here and had the, the handout with the gospel in it, because um, he, he probably won't like what I'm about to say, but that's okay. Um, I think in our, um, our culture and in the way that we talk about the gospel, what we mean centrally when we say that is um, the Christ's free offer of eternal life to all who believe in him. Right? That's, that's typically what we mean. Uh, and that's 100% true. Um, but the gospel is it's like a pie, and that's like a slice of it. Um, and unfortunately, uh, it's, it's the slice that makes it a transaction, because we're a transactional society. Right? We live in a culture that is, about, uh, that is driven by uh, people transacting with one another. And so we're like, oh, Jesus has an offer for me. I will accept his offer. It, maybe we don't think of it in exactly those terms, but, but that's kind of what we're saying. I want to talk to you about what the gospel um, actually uh, kind of was in the ancient world. 
Uh, can, can you show me, uh, or can, can you show me, R Richard, can you display that, that uh, picture that I sent? So this is, a, it's called the Praying Calendar Inscription, um, and it is a, uh, it's a stone tablet that was found in the Turkish town of Prayin. That's, uh, that is uh, Latin and Greek lettering. Um, and so what happened is in around 63 uh, AD, the first emperor of the Roman Empire, uh, Caesar Augustus, they held a, not a contest, but people, people were solicited for ideas about what to do to celebrate and commemorate his birthday. And a magistrate uh, in uh, Turkey, uh, what became Turkey, he uh, came up with the bright idea, well, the calendar should start, day one of the new year should be on Augustus's birthday. And all Roman magistrates should begin their terms of office on that day. Uh, from then uh, to the end of time. Uh, and Augustus, uh, being not, not such a humble fellow, he said, that's a good idea. Uh, and so uh, throughout the Roman Empire, these, these uh, calendar inscriptions can be found or were, were put up. And what they say is, this is the gospel of Caesar Augustus, the son of God. Uh, and it announces that there is a that the calendar now begins uh, on his birthday, uh, and that all Roman magistrates um, will take office on his on that day, that first day of the year, and that peace will reign throughout the world uh, because uh, of all the good things that Caesar Augustus did. So this document is in many places, and so is uh, a document called the Res Gestae, which means the things I did. Like he just had a list of all the things he did put up in, in, in all kinds of outposts throughout the Roman Empire. Um, but I want to draw your attention to, to what it's called. It's called, in, uh, in, in Greek, it's Evangelion, uh, which gets translated to gospel uh, in, our, in English. Um, and it, it's a long way. Ewan means good. Gelion means news. That gets translated into German. Gott's spell good news, and then we get gospel. But um, it, it doesn't mean just any kind of good news. It doesn't just mean like, oh, I, my back feels better today, or um, you know, free McDonald's coupons, or what, you know, whatever. Um, it's not just any kind of generalized good news. It is the announcement of a new state of affairs by a king. That's what it means. Um, it is not an offer to you or I. It's an announcement about the way the world has changed. Um, and it, it, gospel is actually a, a Evangelion or gospel is actually a kind of uh, a genre or a, a type of writing that existed in the ancient world. Um, sometimes a herald would go before a king uh, and he would arrive in town early and he would announce what was going to happen when the king arrived. Um, so I want to, uh, so it, it's an announcement and it's news about the way the world has changed. Uh, and, and notice, it, it doesn't depend on you, right? The, the king is coming. The king announced, it, you, you can say, well, I, I don't want the new year to start on Augustus's birthday. 
guess who doesn't care and has, and has millions of soldiers? Um, Augustus, he, doesn't, he has announced it, that this is the way things are now. Um, and I think there's a, a final, yeah. Um, it's also a challenge to all other powers, right? Because if you arrive on the scene and you say, this is my gospel, right? That the, the word means news from the king in like real literal terms. Um, you are announcing that no other power has the ability to contradict you. Um, so you should, um, I would invite you uh, in the future, if you want to do this, to read the Gospel of Mark uh, and the Gospel of Luke, both of which rely heavily on this concept of the Gospel and on Augustus, right? And Augustus is actually named in Luke. He's the one who sends out the decree to all the earth that everyone should be taxed. Um, when Mark says, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ, he's announcing that Augustus Caesar has no power at all, right? That Christ is king. Christ has arrived uh, and is the Lord of the universe. And you can, you can get on board or you, you cannot, but that it won't change the state of affairs that exists. He, the king is coming and the king has announced what is happening. He has inaugurated his kingdom. So, when we go through Hebrews over the next few weeks, keep this in mind. Um, for for um, the author of Hebrews, this is much more than, oh, God made an offer and you accepted it and you're saved now and that's good and you shouldn't turn your back on that. It, he's running around with his hair on fire, shout, or she, uh, shouting, the king has come and has announced it. You can't act like the king didn't come. Right? You, you recognize that he came. That's it. That ends the inquiry. Um, I think this is an excellent way to think about the gospel. Um, it, it also puts all of the power in Christ's hands where it belongs. So with that, let's go ahead and turn uh, to the uh, epistle to the Hebrews. Um, and we're going to pretty much stick right here in, in Hebrews 1 for this week. I do want to talk uh, a little bit about um, who the author is, the date, the audience, the message, that kind of thing. Um, number one, the date uh, is before 70 AD. And you say, well, why, how do we know that? Uh, we know that because the temple uh, was burned to the ground in 70 AD. Um, and the, the epistle to the Hebrews speaks of the, the sacrifices and uh, ongoing operations of the temple as if they were happening right then. Uh, so, uh, and it's not like people didn't know that the temple burned down. So uh, it happened, this was written uh, sometime before 70 AD, which makes it a pretty early book. Um, in terms of the audience, or I'm sorry, in terms of the author, uh, we don't really know. Uh, if, you, uh, if you look um, in your Bible and you have an older King James Version, it may say at the top, uh, the epistle of Paul to the Hebrews. Um, but I think it's almost certain sure that Paul did not write this um, for a couple of reasons. One, uh, and I'll dive into it really quickly. If you look at Galatians chapter 1, watch, I'm going to lose Galatians. This happens every time. He says, oh my goodness, there I got it. 
Galatians chapter 1. Paul's describing or certifying for himself, uh, right? One of Paul's concerns is always to explain, yes, I'm an apostle. Yes, I'm teaching the truth. Yes, what I learned came directly from the mouth of Christ. So if you look at uh, chapter 1, verse 11 of Galatians, he says, But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which, which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. For ye have heard of my, con- my, my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church and wasted it. And then he goes on, but, no, oh, I'm sorry, and profited in the Jews' religion, religion above my equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my father. But when, it pleased, but when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. Neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem. So he's explaining how he received the gospel. And the way he received the gospel was by direct revelation from Christ himself. He did not learn it from any man, he says. I I learned it directly from Christ. So if we go to Hebrews 2.3, you will see him say, or you will see the author say, uh, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. So this fellow, or lady, whoever it was, heard the gospel from someone else. It was confirmed to them by someone else, or carried to them by someone else. It was not... Paul's very serious about hearing directly from from Christ. So it seems unlikely that Paul would say that, Um, which maybe means, well, okay, you're asking who, who wrote it. Uh, and there are some candidates um, that get floated around. The, actually, the, the authorship of this, this book has been disputed almost since the time it was, was written. And, you know, to, uh, the early church fathers in the 200s and 300s were like, uh, we don't know who wrote it. Um, only God knows. Uh, but some of the, 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 we'll see later on as we get into chapters 12 and 13 that uh, one of the things that gets mentioned is is that Timothy is out of jail. Um, right there are specific references to people who are kind of in Paul's inner circle, um, and so the idea has arisen among scholars. Well, maybe it was like Barnabas, uh, who's one of Paul's companions. Maybe it was um, Apollo. Maybe it was Priscilla. All these people get get named as kind of being in that inner circle with Paul at various times. Um, there's just no good evidence of who wrote it or didn't. Uh, One of the the better theories or better ideas I've seen is that this is actually a transcribed... um, It's Luke transcribing a sermon by Paul delivered in Hebrew because there are some some passages in Acts where Paul clearly delivered a, a... a Hebrew sermon, and Luke interpreted it or translated it into Greek. In the end, it probably doesn't matter, but it's it's good to know who wrote these things. Um, and this is also a um, it, it, as, since it's parsed as a letter, very typically, almost in all cases in the in the New Testament, when we have a letter, it says the the person claims authorship for themselves. Right? They say, 
I, Paul, and then they go on. Um, the one bit about Paul here is that uh, some people used to theorize that the reason that he did not uh, put his name to it, uh, that maybe he wrote it but, but, but didn't put his name to it, was because it's to the Hebrews. Uh, and Paul considered himself and was the apostle to the Gentiles. So maybe he was... Uh, uh, Paul doesn't seem particularly humble to me <laughs> when, I, when I read his other works, so I don't think he'd say, oh, I didn't write this. In any event... Um, the, that's kind of the, the evidence for authorship. In terms of the audience, um, we know that they're Hebrews, and we know that they're Hebrews because this book, more than any other in the New Testament, is consumed with the Old Testament. Um, and it says repeatedly, you heard in the Old Testament, you knew because of the Old Testament patriarchs, you understood because of the law. Um, the whole narrative shape of it is about uh, talking to uh, people who are Jewish, um, and are steeped in the Jewish faith and, and deeply know the Old Testament. Um, and the author is also deeply steeped in the Old Testament and in the Jewish faith. He knows this stuff backwards and forwards. Um, and we also know they're, they're not in Italy, uh, because, because at the end it says, the people, the people in Italy greet thee, um, which wouldn't make much sense if they were already in Italy. Uh, and then finally, the message, and I covered this just a bit um, earlier and won't dive into it uh, a lot, but the structure of the book, um, or the, the overall message of the book is Jesus is better, which is what I said a, a few moments ago. Um, and structurally, what the, the author does, it's, it's very clever. Um, he goes through and he identifies each and everything uh, in the Old Testament that bolsters the law, or creates relationship with God, or each institution of uh, the Old Testament world, whether it's Moses, or the angels, or the Torah, or the tabernacle, each one he, he lists, and then he says, okay, how is Jesus better than that? Uh, and then he, he will launch into an excursus about, well, Jesus is better in these eight different ways. Uh, and the, I'm sorry, can, Richard, you got my, oh, thanks. So this is a structure, and we'll, we'll go through it in subsequent weeks. But So uh, we'll read that, uh, we'll read section A today. But he says, God is speaking to us in his son. Uh, and we'll read that. Uh, then he says, well, Jesus is better than the Torah or the angels. Then he says, Jesus is better than Moses or the promised land. Jesus is better than the priesthood. Jesus is better than the sacrifices and superior to the old covenant. Uh, and then, having done all that, he says, well, what's the message to you? And the message is, stay the course, endure suffering. Uh, it's worth it because the king has arrived and he's better. Um, so let's... let's uh, Go ahead and uh, we'll read the first chapter tonight, and I'll, I'll uh, go through a bit of it. Um, so, uh, chapter 1, verse 1. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world's 
who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. So let's stop there. Um, this is, uh, this is a, a really beautiful passage. Um, note what he's saying, right? He says, in the past, in the past, God spake to us in a bunch of different ways, including through his prophets. And we could go back and look, you know, obviously at Jeremiah, Ezekiel, uh, the writing prophets, at Elijah, Elisha, all of these prophets, and see that at various times, God spoke through them, uh, either in the, in, in the written word, uh, in the form of uh, an audible voice sometimes. Sometimes it's just the prophet declaiming. Sometimes uh, he used sign prophecies, right? Think of all the weird things that happen in Ezekiel, like where he's, you know, I'd, it's like, hey, cook your, cook your food over, over cow excrement. There's like a whole symbology associated with all the weird things Ezekiel had to do. Um, cut off half your hair and burn it, you know. Like, and each one of these things was a sign and a symbol, right? But God spoke in, in various ways through the prophets. He spoke through the narrative of history, right, in Kings, Chronicles, and, and other books. He spoke uh, audibly to some. He, right, he, he had a variety of delivery methods to get people to know the things that he wanted them to know in the Old Testament. Um, so, and all of these combined to form the scriptures that we have. But the author of Hebrews says, well, that was true in the past. In time past, uh, the, the fathers uh, were spoken to by the prophets. But in these last days, in these last days, he's spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. And, and so this, this uh, verse is one of my favorites. Verse 3, Who, being the brightness of his glory, and the express image of his person. And let's work backward from that uh, idea of express image. Um, that is, the word that is used there is a word that is used in Greek uh, for making coins. Um, and you make a coin, you have a die, right? It's a cylinder with an impression on it, right? And you hold it over a bit of metal, soft metal, bam. And what happens? What's transcribed on the face is transferred here, right? It, Christ, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was God holding his own character over, over humanity. That's what God looks like in human flesh. The, the exact imprint of his character. Um, it, it's, it's a really astounding metaphor when you think of, of uh, who Jesus was. Like... Uh, to, to carry the very character and nature of God in a human form. Uh, and then also that image of uh, being the brightness of his glory. Uh, when you look up at the sun, right, the, the glory, the word here means like the rays of the sun or the emanations of the sun. Uh, you can't really look at the sun, can you? I mean, it's, I guess you can, but it's not, not super exciting. Uh, you'll burn your eyes out, right? Um, you, you know everything about the sun by the emanations of its glory. 
right? That, that's the only way you know anything about the sun is by its light. Um, Jesus is illuminating, right? He, he came to reveal the character of his father and unveil the glory and power of, of God. That's who he is. Um, and so uh, from, the, uh, from the, the author's perspective, all these other indirect methods of talking about God, of announcing his intentions, of uh, interpreting what God wants, they have been subsumed, right? We, we don't need them anymore. We have the exact imprint of his character and the form and majesty of his son. Uh, we can see his glory because we know the son. Like that's, that's, the, that's really the message. We could stop here. That's the message of the whole book. Look to Jesus. Um, so let's continue. Uh, I also... Uh, I didn't mention this when we went past verse 2 there, but he says, uh, He spoke, he hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. This is a book with what scholars call a very high Christology. Uh, God is, or Christ is the same as the Father uh, in some sense that we cannot completely comprehend in our present form. But he was there at the beginning, it says. He's not only the heir of all things, he was there when they started. Through him, God made the worlds. He is the word made flesh. Um, so that, that kind of uh, high Christology, that language, that high regard for Christ's divinity, is an important part of what makes, what makes Jesus better. Let's continue being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. This is verse 4. 5. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, And let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels he saith, who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. So we're going to, uh, next week, uh, we're going to go uh, through all of those. I'm almost out of time, so I apologize. We're going to go through and, and read and pick up on those verses. Um, but one of the things that you, you really must know uh, about uh, Second Temple Jews uh, is that they had a very high regard for angelology. Uh, like they they had a whole system and network of beliefs that that centered around not not them worshiping angels, but of angels worshiping God, uh, and kind of they had this whole image of how that worked, uh, and so this is a natural play. Like it seems weird to us because angels, I, I think, seem more like story elements or characters in stories to us than they are uh, like a living part of our worship uh, and spiritual life. Uh, but for these Jews, they were very important. Um, they, they kind of had this uh, system or idea worked up about how angels operate in the heavenly realms. Uh, and so that's, that's where this, this author starts, um, is with the idea that, that Christ is better than the angels for a variety of reasons. The other piece that may not be apparent to you because it's not uh, explicit in our Bible is that um, there's a tradition that the law 
when Moses received it, it was given to him by angels, like God sent messengers with, uh, with the law itself.